Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Today we're wrapping up our series on love where you live, and then we're going to start a new series line us up into Christmas. And um, my hope is that talking about this, love where you live, this will be an opportunity to invite people to come where you worship. And I'm hoping that you'll take advantage of that next week. We're going to have cards available that you can hand to your neighbors with all the service times and everything that's going on during this lovely time. So let's welcome Lodi. Let's welcome those who are watching online as they join us here. Well, last week as we started this series, we basically said two things. One, God has sovereignly placed you among your neighbors. That was on purpose, that he's placed you. And God has also sovereignly placed your neighbors around you. All of them, good or bad, all of them around you so that they may learn and lean in to who God is. It's a great opportunity for that. There's a book, uh, it was written a couple years ago, called The Second Mountain by a guy named David Brooks. He's a conservative columnist for the New York Times, and he says this about that. Being a conservative columnist for the New York Times is like being the chief rabbi in Mecca. Now, you know, again, that's Jewish, Muslim, that type of thing. He feels very awkward in where he's at. But in this book, Second Mountain, he found himself going through a difficult time and a divorce and all kids away at college, and his sole goal in life was the first mountain. And the first mountain was that where people seek success. It's all about your job. And he noticed that even in his house where he pulled out a drawer where silverware should be, there was notepads and pens and places where glasses were stacks of paper because he took his job that serious. And he came into the valley, but he said it was on the second mountain where all of a sudden wonder Gratitude and hope came. Because he says on the second mountain, this is where you serve others and are concerned about others more than yourself. He says this, we value success above relationships, ego above care, the market above society and tribal divisions over common humanity. We all create a shared moral ecology through the daily decisions of our lives. When we stereotype, abuse, impugn motives, and lie about each other, we're ripped, we've ripped the social fabric and encouraged more ugliness. When we love across boundaries and listen patiently, see deeply, and make someone feel known, we've woven it and reinforced generosity. Which is very interesting as a man who's just kind of entertaining Christianity at the writing of this, that he began to see people in community and people who were loving on him on this second mountain. In other words, <clears throat> we need each other. And in a culture that seems to continue to fracture and separate uh, in a time that we've been through in the last year and a half, two years, the suicide rate's gone up, drug overdose, what, 100,000 last year died of drug overdose, divorces, child abuse, murder, crime, and you see the news and you're just going, what is going on? 
Because everything's being fractured. Everything's being trying to separate and trying to divide us. That's the, that's the biggest issue with the critical race theory is that we need to divide people in camps of all sorts of camps. You name it, there's a camp for it. And we continue to keep dividing and dividing and dividing. When Jesus gave us a simple solution to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the question we'll cycle back to is this. Are your neighbors glad that you live next door? If you moved, would they even notice? I mean, when you think about that, we think about that at Church of Horizon, that if Horizon were to cease to exist, would our community know that? Would they miss us? Because if the answer is no, they wouldn't miss us, then we are not, not doing anything impactful in this place. And so, if you have your Bibles, smartphone devices, go to, go to the book of 1 Peter. Now, I know we just did a series on 2 Peter, but I need us to go back to 1 Peter for a moment because the setting of 1 Peter is that persecution has come on to the church. As a matter of fact, some, some always thought that, well, God caused this persecution because the last words to Jesus was to go into all the world. And they didn't go anywhere. They stayed there in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, persecution, and all of a sudden, that spread them out everywhere. And so Peter is writing to a bunch of Christians, I never thought of it from this standpoint, that were all new neighbors to people. All of a sudden, they were in a brand new community, a brand new neighborhood. They didn't know anybody other than the people they traveled with. And I think Peter lines out some things of us of how can we be a good neighbor, because I think that he's talking about how are they to live in all these different places. In, verse, in chapter 1, of verse 1, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cap Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, you have been chosen. Remember, we started this saying that God has purposefully placed you in the neighborhood in which you live. Again, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. You see the whole trinity right there. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth a living hope, and we're going to cycle back to that, that we have something that the world does not have, and that is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept for you in heaven. Okay, let's see. You're chosen. God's purposely placed you in the, where you're at. You have this living hope that the world does not have, but you have it. And you have an inheritance that's never going to go away. It's stored for you, waiting for you. This is good news for these believers who have been spread out throughout the nations, being persecuted for their faith. Verse 5 says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you greatly rejoice because you are chosen, you have a living hope, you have an inheritance that's going away, you've been shielded by God's power. So you have reason of all people of the world to greatly rejoice 
Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You have all these things. And this test has come. According to this, because God has ordained that for your faith to shine. Those difficult neighbors you're next to are there for your faith to shine. They go, nah, I'm, I'm praying that they move. I get it. I understand. But trust me when I say people are watching. People are watching. They're listening to your conversations. I mean, I live in kind of in the country where we're not right next to each other. So I have even a hard time having to believe that if someone was 10 feet away from me, uh, like a wall or a house, that would, I mean, if I travel and go to different friends' places, man, it's like, they're so close. They can hear me breathing right now. Again, that is true because they are, because we listen to them, right? Don't don't tell me you don't listen to them. Don't tell me you're not, you know, when you hear a conversation, when you hear a voice rise, what's going on over there? I understand just as you do, they do as well. And Peter's going to give us, I believe, that we can look into some traits of what a good Christian neighbor is all about. If you jump from chapter 1 to chapter 3, the first seven verses really talks about how a married couple is to be a good neighbor, how you treat each other because people are listening. But starting in verse 8, he's talking to all of us, not just to marriages, not just to where you work. But verse 8 says, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't toss dog dew over the fence. Don't do these things. But with blessing... Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Again, I love that part where it talks about love as brothers. How you act is supposed to be different. How you respond to those around you should be different. To live in harmony, to be peace within and to be sympathetic, to love, to listen, compassionate and humble. Do not just repay evil. If they turn up their music, you turn it up louder. All right, it, it just the things that again. I live in a neighborhood where music's playing here. Even in, during our my son's wedding, all of a sudden the neighbor down the street started playing boom, 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 and it was loud. And we're going, do we go over there? Do we say, hey, we got a wedding going on? Can you turn it down a little bit? And but you know, Micah and Kayla just bounced to the music as uh, during the ceremony. Verse ten says, "Whoever would love life." And see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Now, he's quoting here from Psalm 34, which what was true in David's day is true in Peter's day and is true today. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. So guard what we say when our neighbors are listening. 
Some of you may have neighbors who purposefully say things because they know you are listening or they're just on the other side of the fence. They throw things. They literally hope their words land on your ears. But we should be acting differently. We must turn from evil and do good. We must seek peace and pursue it. And I love this in verse 12. Again, I... What I love about Scripture is I've been studying this for weeks on this passage, but it wasn't until this morning out in my poker room like that verse 12 just jumped. For the eyes of the Lord, they're watching you. His ears are attentive to your prayers. That assumption is going on here is that you, because you're going to live differently or thinking differently, acting differently, praying differently for those whom you live around. And how we should be this new neighbor is verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And again, this this week, eager, eager. I mean, now think about last time you were eager. Maybe you're eager to eat. I mean, you're planning your day. Trust me. In cooking all these things, we did prep on, on Wednesday so that Thursday wouldn't be this crushing time. And Right? We got to do the timing when the kids, Alexander, he's got to take a nap. Got to put in turkey. Got to do this. We're doing a convection oven, so it only takes about an hour and 40 minutes for a big turkey to do, especially spatchcock. We got to plan it. We gotta, we're eager to get to the dinner table to set things up because if you're eager to do something, then you're probably pretty much planning what you're going to do. There's a plan behind it. It's not that you just wake up, like yesterday I just woke up, mm, I'm going to watch football today. There's some great games on. And that's pretty much what I did most of the day. I did some other things. Okay, i got to look at this. I'm going to put this thermostat in ah, tomorrow. Uh, there was not a lot of eagerness in my schedule yesterday. It was pretty much planned. Justin was home. We could sit down and watch football. We don't get to do that. And it just, there wasn't a lot of eager planning because when you're eager to do good, that means you actually have a plan to do good. You're thinking about how you can do good. But the question is, now, if I'm eager to do good, why would people want to harm me? Because we live in an evil world. We live in a world that Satan is active. And when we live differently, people, we draw attention to ourselves. If there's something different about us, we stand out. So it does both things. It draws attention and then it draws attention. And that's where evil can come because we are called to live a different way. There should be something different and unique about us. You know, Weird, maybe, because the world is acting this way, but you're choosing to eagerly act a different way. Verse 13, when it says eager to do good, verse 14 says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Why? Remember, you're chosen. Remember, you have an inheritance that's not going away. Remember, you're protected by God's power. He's shielding you. doesn't mean you're not going to go through hardship. Let's not, let's not pretend. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer and be tested because you will. Matter of fact, Jesus promised that. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you. What's that word? When. When, yeah. Not if. 
Yeah, not if you're persecuted, when it all happens, when it comes crashing down, when it all of a sudden people will insult and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because why? There's something different about you. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you're in great company. You must be doing something right along the way. If this is taking place, that this is, this is a good thing. It will happen when you start living differently. There are so many different things. And I, I got to be careful here. In a certain place that I volunteer at, a certain person decided to spread rumors about my, myself and my wife. And I, I got calls. Yeah, we heard you're getting a divorce. And I'm going, what? And I knew who the person was. I knew what was going on. We knew, and everyone else knew who the person was that said this. And so my action at that point was, I, okay, you want to play this game? All right, you want, because, guys, my personality is, you know, you mess with a bull, you get the horns. I mean, you just, it's hard for me not to. And I can think of some good stuff, all right, to do that. But instead, I went out of my way to shake his hand every single time I saw him. I made sure, hey, how you doing? It may have had a little bit tighter grip. I don't know. <laughs> He'd have to be able to tell you that. Just let him know. And that's where the Bible talks about when we do that, when we live differently, when we love our enemy, Romans says it's like pouring what? Hot coals on their head, which is kind of satisfactory into itself. I know, you know, I mean, when you act like you're not supposed to act, why they think you're going to act and you love on them anyways, it drives them absolutely crazy because they're waiting, you, waiting for you to act like everybody else. We are called to be different. We are called to love our enemies. Now, let me just side note here. Uh, dear friend wrote to me after last the sermon last week and just said, how does that work if you're in an abusive situation? Guys, to love your enemies does not say you stay in an abusive situation, be belittled, beaten, shamed, afraid, and even possibly die in that. that does, it does not say put your family in harm. Matter of fact, the most loving thing you can do is remove yourself from that and for your family. Because it's funny how scripture, you're supposed to love your enemy, but he's beating me. He, she's doing this. So that. No, that is not a safe environment for you, for you to be in. And you need to be removing yourself from that or get help to remove yourself from that. So I, I don't want those words to, well, I'm going to love those who hate on me and insult me. And No, guys, there's a place where that's going to happen naturally, where because you're living differently, people are going to say all kinds of things of evil against you. But if you find yourself in an abusive, dangerous, shameful, and you're afraid for your life situation, you need to be removed of that. We'll help you do that. But understand, it doesn't mean you have to stay there. Okay? Just a side note. I wish I would. I guess I wish I wouldn't even have to talk about that. I wish it, but it just, that's not true in our day-to-day -day society. 1 Peter 3.15 begins to say, this is how you're supposed to live. This is the first thing you need to do. Verse 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Make a decision. Make a decision that you have made it, decided in your heart, Jesus is Lord. 
He's put me in this place for a reason. He is sovereign. He knows exactly what he is doing. And, and because of that, because I'm ready, because I believe he's placed me in that, then I'm going to begin to look for opportunities because opportunities will present themselves. That's why not only do you have to make a decision, you've got to be ready when the opportunity comes. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Now, like we said last week when we were talking about gardening, before you can put seeds in the ground, you've got to prepare the soil. You have to take time to get the soil ready for this. I believe this verse is assuming that you've already done prep work on the soil because rare is the occasion that someone that I do not know, that I haven't spent digging time soil, will ever ask me to give a reason for the hope that I have because they don't know me. I don't just have strangers, do, 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 do. hey, I was wondering what the hope you have. It just doesn't work that way. How it works is when you're involving yourself in different places, in your neighborhood. When I go over to Stogie's and, and just take time to meet other people. When I do these things intentionally to stir up, to turn over the soil, that is when the opportunities will come. They will present themselves when people will want to know, ask me questions. Because why? I've prepared myself. I've been, I've been involving myself in, your, in their life. Your neighbors aren't going to ask you questions unless you, I mean, last week we were supposed to get the name of your neighbor. If you don't even know your neighbor's name or haven't had any interaction with them, not likely they're going to ask you any questions about what kind of hope you have. But when you do and when they see that you are living differently than they, that's when they're going to want what you got. Because they have observed, they've listened, they've watched, because people are listening. Just like we are, they are too. What are they hearing? What are they hearing over the fence line? What are they hearing out in the front yard? What are they hearing in the backyard? First Peter 3.15 goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a, the reason." Okay, they're seeing something. They're, they're seeing you act differently, but now they don't want to know why. This word reason comes from the word apologia, where we get the term apologetics, which really means giving reason response to arguments against the faith. And so they want to know. They want to understand you are living this different way. What is behind that? What is the, the, what is the, the energy that is producing this difference inside of you? And it's going to require you to actually know why you act the way you do. One of the first books on my shelf when I became a believer in Christ was Know What You Believe by Paul E. Little. Great book. And there's a companion book, second book I bought after that, Know Why, know why You Believe. So know what you believe and know why you believe. You can go on Amazon today and get this one volume of both books. And it's just little bits. Trust me, I just need little bits to understand. I don't need a book this thick. I need a paperback that just tells me, okay, this is, as a believer in Christ, this is, this is what you believe in as a believer in Christ. And this is why you believe it, because you are preparing yourself when that day, not if that day, because if you are immersing yourself in your community, becoming friends with people that don't necessarily think like you, you don't know whether all of a sudden they are going to ask you questions, what are you going to say? 
And most people, that scares them to death. That they're going to actually ask a question that you don't know the answer to. And when, I, when that happens, and it happens to me a lot, it does, I just say, what a great question. I do not know. But let me do some digging, and I'll get back with you. See, all of a sudden, I've communicated to them, that's a great question. I, no one's ever asked me that before. But I'll do some digging, and that gives you another opportunity to start talking about because people want to know. And ultimately what verse 15 says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. All right, believer in Jesus, this hope is not just wishful thinking. This hope is not, oh, I, I, I hope today there are enough leftovers from Thanksgiving to you. It's not that, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. That's where a lot of people put hope at. But this hope, that you have a hope that people are longing for. Guys, there, I, because every one of us are created in the image of God, there's something deep inside of every man and woman who's ever been placed here on earth, of the living God inside of them. That, not that God is inside of them. I'm not saying they're little gods. What I am saying is that there is a hope that there's something else. There's something better. It's got to be better than this. Something. And we've tried everything to, pl to plug that hole. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's sex, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's entertainment, maybe it's stuff, enough money, and we just keep trying to shove it. And the only thing that can fill that hole, hole is God. And that's that living hope, that you have an extraordinary hope inside of you. Because I, how many would consider themselves optimists here, be honest? I mean, optimists. All right, cup is half full. All right, some of you are more, a cup is half empty. And it's usually two married people, usually they come together half full, half empty, which gives good perspective on just about everything in life, all right? And so as you look at optimism, is the definition of optimism is a person who tends to be hopeful and confident about the future of success and something. I mean, optimism is a good trait. I'm not saying pessimism isn't because you need, you need the pessimism to say, I don't know, what, maybe we should think about that. Where is that going to come from? You need both sides of this coin for it to operate. But when people think of optimism and having a good view of life, it's just normal optimism. Normal hope like, I hope it's not going to rain. I hope that, I, and I'm hopeful that this is going to, the economy is going to turn around. I'm hopeful that gas prices will come down. I'm hopeful, hopeful, hopeful. But ours is extraordinary hope that makes it different. It's not typical optimism. And when suffering comes to a Christian, when difficulty comes into your life, there should be a different response to that. Because people are listening, because people are watching, and because you are involved in other people's life, when things come knocking on your door, how your attitude is and how you handle that they're watching and they want to know, with all this going on in your life, how can you even begin to act this way? Because you should be crumbled in a pile right now because of everything that's coming to you. Hope is more than just a wish that can be here. And because people are listening to us, 
this definition of hope, and there are a lot of different definitions of Christian hope, but I like this one. An anticipation of something better because of what has been promised. An anticipation of something better because what has been promised. The only thing about a promise is the promise is only as good as the person making the promise. It's only that good. So when I think of God, if my hope is I'm gritting my teeth, well, I hope Jesus' salvation is good enough to cover my sin, and I'm hoping that to be true. I hope, and you know, not, I'm crossing my fingers that everything's going to be okay, that I might get into heaven. That's not hope, guys. That's wishful thinking again. Hope is based in this anticipation that something is coming because of what has been promised to me. And important, because I know who made the promise. And so that's where my hope is lying. That's where my security is. Because not only have I been chosen, not only have, because of that I've been forgiven in him, not only that I have this living hope in place inside of me, not only because I'm being protected, I've got an inheritance that's never going to go away, I have an anticipation of something better because of what is promised. I am going to be living differently. I'm going to be reacting differently. And people are going to be seeing that. And when that happens, that's when people say, hey, what's going on, man? There's something different about you. I got all the stuff that's been happening, your attitude around the house, just how, how you've been handling this. What is it? Because deep down inside, people want to know. They're going to ask the question, why in the world are you so expectant in the middle of this crisis? And whether, because guys, they're just going to roll over crisis against crisis against, it's just, there's just, we're in that, that place right now. I don't know if this will ever end because once you think you're out of it, no, here comes another one and it's worse than the last one and we might have to do this and might, and you're saying, okay, whatever. Why? Because. My hope's not based on what's happening around me. My hope's based on who is inside of me and who has saved me and what's waiting for me. I'm not going to allow the things that are taking place around me to get me caught up inside. There's a difference in how I see this outcome happening. And it's a tremendous gift that has been given to you, this living hope, in order for you to cope but at the same time, remember your neighbors have been placed there for a reason that they can be drawn to God because they are next to you. It's how I'm choosing to live differently because God has done something incredible inside of me. And because of that, that's going to direct how I react to things. Again, the rest of verse 15, 1 Peter 3, 15. But when you respond, when they ask you these questions, do this with gentleness and respect. Let me ask you something. Is everyone going to like you? No. Now, this might be a surprise, but not everyone likes me, okay? Uh, there are some people that actually do not like me. They see me in the supermarket, they go the other way. There's Tim. And I don't know why. I think I'm a gentle guy. I'm in a big, big teddy bear. Um... <laughs> Should you do whatever it takes for people to like you? No. Now, some of you may lean to that. that I, want, I want everyone to like me. Guys, never going to happen. Never going to happen. And if you try, you're going to be deeply disappointed, and no one's going to like you anyways because you're a chameleon. You're just trying to please everybody. That's not, it's just how it works. But when I treat people, when they ask me questions about this living home, and I do this in gentleness and respect, 
even when people disagree, they will respect us. They will respect me. E, guys, because I've been doing this for a while, especially on a college campus or whether wherever I, you know, one of the one of the things that you know when this church looked to hire me, I said, "Hey guys, here's the deal with me." One of the things I told them is that I love to hang out with lost people. I do. And lost people are comfortable with me. Um, I think because one, I will listen. I'll listen to the thing of what they're saying. And when Larry and I have traveled in the past to his uh, real estate convention, I love going to that thing because again, a lot of lost people. This and it's good leadership stuff. But Larry will tell you, man, you know, it just seems like people are just drawn to Tim, and. Uh, I don't know why. I, it's not something that I'm creating. I think because I love listening to hear people. I love people to tell me their story. Because when you allow people to tell them the story, they're going to tell you. And with that will come the opportunity to talk with them, but always with the attitude of gentleness and reverence. Because if people get mad, you've lost the conversation. Okay? General rule. If they ask you... Well, give me the reason hope. Because you're going to go to hell and you're going to... I mean, how you approach this, guys, it, it's not that that's not true. Without Jesus, that, that, that's true. But when I do this with gentleness and respect, that if I can prevent them from just being mad, now I, sometimes I can't. I've had people get mad, but that's usually when the conversation ends because you're not going to go anywhere after that. That I need to not feed that part but feed the gentleness and respect. We are not saved by our good works, but we were saved. It does, it should change our behavior. Because we're saved, we should act differently. It does change our behavior, or it should change our behavior of how we react and act with people. And especially in today's world, especially in today's society, of just how caustic it seems and how argumentative and divisive it is. How can we be different? How can we... You order something online, Amazon, eBay, whatever, but if this package comes, I mean... You know when you get something from Amazon because it's got the lovely Amazon tape around it, just looks professionally done. But if you get a box that's got real duct tape around it and it's all wrinkled up and then tied with this and the box kind of crushed, you're going to look at it going, I don't know if I even should open this. I, I think I may just send this back. They didn't even take care in, in packaging this dang thing. How we package our faith, how we package who we are makes a difference. I don't mean dress-wise, guys. I mean our attitude-wise, how we present ourselves. Is it with gentleness and respect? They may or may not receive it, but you've removed any necessary barriers. They may say yes or no when I give them the reason for that. But when I do this with gentleness and respect, I'm going to tell you, I take away any barriers that would prevent them from listening to that. And the benefit is, verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. They're going to speak against you. But here's the deal. Because of how you've chosen to be, 
because how you've chosen to act, because you're different than everybody else, it's going to be noticed by other people. When they try to malign you, much like that individual who tried to, oh, yeah, Tim and Gwen, they're getting a divorce, and try to malign me as I'm trying to help other people. What I enjoyed was the calls. There weren't calls from people, Tim, is this real? Are you really getting a divorce? It was, hey, just to let you know, this is, this is going around. It wasn't that they thought it. It was that, no, that's not happening. We know who Tim is. And so that person begins to look bad, even though they try to insult you because of your good character. And again, it's back to pouring burning coals on their head. I love this quote. Love is the ultimate apologetic. That when I love on people, when I listen to their stories, when I consider them more important than myself, that is the greatest apologetic because that will drive them to ask, so what is the hope that you have? And that gives the opportunity to plant seeds. You've been tilling the soil, now it's time to plant the seeds. Hope, the anticipation of something better because of what has been promised. So let me ask you, when you look at your neighbors, do they see hope? Because you can't fake hope, guys. You can't fake it. Do they see grace in dealing with you? Again, are your neighbors glad that you live next door to them? If you moved, would they notice? And what steps can you do? Dinesh said at a staff meeting, hey, we should have people send in, which I thought was a great idea, send in what they're doing to reach their neighborhood, what they're doing to till the soil. Are they doing a movie night? Are they doing maybe a neighborhood watch? Are they doing a concert in their backyard? Is it a barbecue? Are they going around the neighborhood handing out cookies just with a card? You know, what a great opportunity right now, guys, that you have in the next month to, to get to know your neighbors. And again, like I said, and if you can't cook, don't do cookies. Have someone else do it. <laughs> or a gift certificate to Starbucks or something or to a uh, place next door here. Um, What's it called again? That's Never been there. Live right in the next door, never been there. Sweet coffee. Um, but send, send your plans on what you're doing. And let's share this, because you may have a great idea that I never thought of. Go, that's a great idea. I should, we should try that. And we can have a place where you can look at how can I reach, what, what are people doing to reach their neighborhoods, and then reach out to them of how this happened and how this worked, and we can begin to share those stories. If you don't know how to share your faith, I'm encouraging December 5th, starting next Sunday from 5 to 7 and the 12th. Just as it's a short course of just here are some tools, here are some things to think about. Because the whole thought of sharing my faith scares people to death. I've been there, I remember that, and just I can't do it. I can't say the words, I can't do this. To kind of get you over some hurdles and give you some tools to help you along the way. You can either send me Tim at horizonweb.org or we got a sign up list out there and we'll let you know about that. But one of the greatest things we can do is to pray for our neighbors. And I don't know if you're watching that video very closely, but that prayer is a powerful prayer. It's in your notes and it's going to be up on the screen. And I just want right now as we pray this prayer, I want us to think about 
your neighbors. Not just the good ones, but the bad ones too, if you have them. And let's pray this together, that we're asking God that we will love where we live and realize God placed us there for a reason. And he's placed them for a reason too. Whether they're 10 feet away from you or an acre away from you, that we have an opportunity to till the soil where they will see how we act because they're watching, they're listening. And then we can share this incredible hope that we have. So let's pray this together. Father, we thank you for every woman, man, and child in every corner of this town, from every corner of the world, all of them created in your image. Father, we ask, protect them from the evil one. Convince them of your power. Persuade them of your love. The next slide. Reveal to them your grace for all who trust in Jesus. Please grant us courage to keep walking in your spirit so they can see in us true love for each other, patience in affliction, and the joyful hope of eternity with you as we invite them in. Amen. Father, I pray. I pray for us because we're all living somewhere, whether it's an apartment, whether it's a mobile home park, whether it's a trailer, whether it's a home, whether it's a farmhouse, whether, whatever it may be. And whether it's in this state or the states who are watching, whether it's in Lodi, Father, we are all been placed in a neighborhood and you have placed us there for a reason. And you've placed our neighbors around us at this point in time for a reason, the good and the bad. Father, may we pray that they will see something different in us, that love will win, that when evil things happen, we will continue to show love that a difference can be made. That when people do ask for the reason we live, we act, we talk the way we do, it's because of the hope that we have. Not in the circumstances around us, not in the things that we have, but only in you. We pray this in Jesus.